I'll apologize in advance if I cough, sneeze, talk like Darth Vader. I'm just kind of working through a, a cold this morning. So the cracks in my voice aren't like I'm on the verge of an emotional breakdown or anything like that. So, hey, we're going to start off this morning with a little name that tune. Okay, so as soon as you think you know the answer, raise your hand that I need, I need band and song title, okay? So GJ, DJ T-Pat, hit it. Anyone? Amos, come on. No. Well, of course, Todd knows. Seriously, nobody knows that. What's that? Okay. Something's always wrong. And the band towed the wet sprocket. Clint? Dang, nice. <clears throat> he wasn't even born when that song came out. Toad the Wet Sprocket, right? Dulcinea was the album, in case you're wondering. So why are we listening to that song, you might be asking? Well, because that's the title of my sermon today, Something's Always Wrong. So I've had some thoughts roaming around in my heart and mind for a, a few months, and so just kind of looking for the right Sunday to, to bring them to you. So before we dive back into our um, For the Life of the World series we've been doing kind of this school year, kind of got interrupted by Advent, I'm just going to interject some thoughts uh, today in, in this message. And um, as a young Christian... And a college student, I was pretty impressionable. Um, So this is like late 80s, early 90s, especially in the area of marriage and family. And because of my upbringing, I had some definite desires in me for my life to look a lot different than what I had experienced. And so I found myself um, in my late teens, early 20s, working in the summers at a Christian sports camp in Branson called Canacuck. Some of you guys may have heard of it. Um, And so when I was there, I was definitely kind of taking it all in. And I was paying particular attention to the lives of the full-time staff that were there, the folks that kind of worked there year-round. And I was looking at their marriages and their perfect little kids and their, and their houses and their, their perfect little camp life and, and really kind of idolizing that a little bit and thinking, oh man, man, if my life could just be like that someday, everything would be amazing, okay? Um, and right up front, uh, before I dive in, I want you to know that those people were good people and had good intentions, but there was a subtle underlying tone in the way that they presented themselves um, to us young college kids. And that was this, that if you, um, you know, kind of did the right things, you know, spent time with God, put him first in your life, had your quiet time every day, that life ought to turn out kind of how you thought it would, kind of turn out good for you. And now I like to call that mindset the American dream gospel, because it sounds really good. And it might even look good on the surface, but it's just not true and certainly not biblical. And I think many young Christians enter adulthood chasing some picture of this God-honoring life 
that if they can somehow achieve it through, you know, a good enough right actions on their part, that they can kind of escape calamity in life. Um, with the converse of that also being true, that if life wasn't turning out well, then you were doing something wrong. So it's kind of like this, kind of a formulaic equation. So if you, if you do the right things and are obedient and, and righteous and all those things, then, then your life should be blessed. And if you were disobedient and sinful, then you're kind of going to get what you deserve, right? You kind of reap what you sow. So that was kind of the, I think, the mentality that a lot of folks had. So the problem with the Canica culture at that time was that there was no real authenticity. There was no sharing of struggles or failures, no examples of people who were living or at least trying to really strive to live an obedient life to Christ whose lives were still falling apart despite it. There was really no examples at least shared of people who would really overcome um, some major sin struggles in their life and had some victory in some things. Their culture, I don't think, would really allow such honesty Maybe in one-on-one conversations with one of them, you might get there, but definitely not in a, in a public group setting. Uh, so that was a challenge. And, and so for myself and, and literally thousands of other college students who worked there, because they had several different camps, I think a lot of us moved into young adulthood kind of chasing this American dream Christian life, um, only to find out at various different points along the way that it really was never attainable to begin with, and, and really wasn't even biblical. <laughs> and now that I'm 45, and let me give it a pause for a second to take that in and kind of shake your head in bewilderment that that can't be possible, and is that enough time? You guys good with that? Some of you are thinking, only 45? I've, I'm 45. I've been married 22 years. I've been a Christian now for 29 years. Um, some things have certainly become clear to me over that time, and one thing in particular. Are you ready for it? There will always be some form of brokenness or pain in your life. Always. And I used to think <clears throat> that brokenness was kind of an event. And it's kind of a phrase that Christians would throw around, oh, you know, this happened and I was really broken, or I um, did something sinful and God really broke me. Um, but then I learned a bunch of stuff and now I'm not broken anymore. So it was like you were broken and then you got fixed and then you weren't broken anymore. Well, the reality is, um, is that brokenness is a constant condition in our life. It's always there underneath the surface. And all it requires is the right circumstances for, for the intensity of life to kind of get turned up a little bit and, and the heat. And sure enough, that brokenness that you didn't even know was there, or maybe to the extent you thought, those impurities and those character flaws will inevitably come up to the surface. And sometimes you'll be a little bit surprised about who you can be in the midst of some of those things. We may have seasons of relative peace in life, but it never lasts because here's the truth. One is that we live in a broken and fallen world. And secondly, we battle our fleshly sinful desires until the day we die. 
And those two concurrent realities will never change. And they each have consequences. And as I've shared many times before, sometimes our lives are impacted by our own sin, right? Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Other times we are caught in the crossfires of other people's sin, our spouse, our friends, uh, our boss, our coworkers, fellow students or teammates or whatever, they sin and it, it impacts us. And then sometimes we're, we're caught in, in, the, in the, just the reality that we live in a broken and fallen world and bad things happen here outside of our control. And sometimes all three of those things are happening at the same time, actually a lot of times, because we're always sinful, other people around us are always sinful, and this world is always messed up, and sometimes we feel it coming from every angle all at once. So in case you were wondering, (laughs) control is an illusion. So those of you that kind of like to think you can control your life, the reality is, is that you just can't. You can't. If it's not your marriage that suffers, then it might be setbacks in your career, or your children might go off the deep end, or you might have financial trouble or health issues, but it will be something. And in my uh, adult Christian life, I've seen uh, friends of mine, Christian friends, go through gut-wrenching divorces. I've seen Christian friends of mine uh, have affairs. I've watched uh, as friends of mine's rips, their hearts have been ripped apart as their kids have chosen just destructive lifestyles, been caught up in addiction or crime, or just simply walked away from their faith. I've seen tragic illnesses cut lives short, or accidents that alter people's dreams. I've seen careers fall apart. I've seen uh, folks, uh, friends of mine that have been involved in churches and have poured a lot of their heart and life into that, and then the whole thing just kind of implodes because their pastor was caught up in some kind of sin, and, and the church just kind of folded. And I've seen all of those things. And likewise, as I've matured in my faith, and I've, I've started to kind of understand the Bible a lot more for myself, definitely better than I did when I was 19 or 20 years old, I also... Um, began to notice something as I read the Bible. And what I began to notice was that there's, there seems to be some people in it um, who aren't perfect people, but man, they were really striving, really striving um, for obedience and faithfulness, um, trying to do the right thing. And man, they just got messed up by sinful people around them. And one of those that comes to mind for me first is a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. Joseph is the guy who had the Technicolor dream coat that his dad gave to him, and it caused all of his brothers to kind of be jealous. He was kind of the favored son. And so those jealous brothers sold him into slavery. And then he ends up in Egypt, and he kind of gets, gets uh, set up and, and gets thrown in prison for a crime that he really didn't commit. And so he's sitting in jail, and he really, honestly, hasn't really done anything wrong. Another great example from the New Testament is a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, He's the guy that kind of came before Jesus, kind of preparing people, saying, hey, this guy's going to come, right? He baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River, and then he gets thrown in prison, and he gets his head cut off because of the, the whims of the authorities of, uh, of the land at that time. And I learned that A plus B doesn't always equal C. 
that the Bible isn't a formula. Do this and do that, and then you'll get this. That living your Christian life a certain way doesn't always guarantee a pain-free existence. And all of this somewhat depressing news to say this, is that we live in a very interesting tension as followers of Christ. On the one hand is the reality that we live in a fallen world surrounded by broken people, ourselves included, right? And that's why Jesus made it so clear when he taught his disciples. He said, in this world, there will be trouble, right? Don't be surprised when, when things are falling apart. Don't be surprised when you're persecuted or beaten or killed. And because we will never completely overcome our sinful flesh, we're always imperfect, and that's going to be going on our whole entire life. So we kind of put that reality over here, okay, that every one of us is going to be battling our sinful flesh our whole life, and hopefully it gets better and we become more like Christ as our life goes on, but we'll never have complete victory in every single area of our life until we're completely made new in heaven. So couple that with the tension of reading verses like Paul writes several times in his letters where he says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And when I read that, I just think, oh man, I've really got to get it together, right? I mean, I've, I've been called and done all this. I've, I've got to work harder, man. I've got to deal with my sin. I want to live a life worthy, right? And God says, be holy because I am holy. And that feels like a lot of pressure. And so we have this tension of, man, I want to be righteous and holy and do all these things and live a life worthy, but I'm also broken and probably never going to overcome that. And so how do I navigate those things? And we see Paul kind of straddling those two tensions in his writings a lot. Because on the one hand, as we looked at in the book of Romans and we read and we studied last year, he will say to us things that are true, like you are dead to sin in Christ. You are no longer slaves to those sinful things that used to have you in bondage. He says, you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, right? But then he couples that with, I mean, in our, in our weakness, in our frailty, he is strong, right? He says things like, the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing because of sin living in me. So where does this all leave us? Well, what's, what's an accurate and healthy perspective to have about what life should look like as followers of Christ? Do we just throw in the towel? Do we think to ourselves, you know what? I don't want to be faithful and obedient and then just end up like John the Baptist where somebody just cuts my head off and like I really haven't done anything wrong. Like that, what's the point of trying hard if I really can't control life anyways? Well, here's what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said this. This is in verses 8 and 9. He said, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. What's he trying to say? Raise your hand. What's what's he trying to say? Yeah. 
Don't give up, okay? Yeah, Scotty? There's still hope. What's that? We're not alone. Okay. He also seems to be saying that these things will happen to you, right? You will be hard-pressed. You will be crushed. You will be perplexed. You will be persecuted. You will be struck down, right? But it doesn't have to be the end of you, right? So how do we respond to those realities, do we, do we do our Christian best the whole time kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop, living in fear of, of what might happen? I hope not. The first thing I think that is really important for us is, we begin to have this, is that we begin to have this proper mindset that we've been kind of talking about all school year, really. And that's this, that as followers of Christ, God says that you are now citizens of heaven. And so now you are angel, angels... <laughs> Is that right? Not angels. Aliens and strangers. I was combining those two words, like angels. And like, no, that's not right. <laughs> that we are aliens and strangers in this world. We're not citizens here anymore. And so we have to believe that because otherwise we'll try to make this place heaven. And that's a, that's a, that's a fruitless and frivolous activity. Because it will never be perfect here. You will never be satisfied here. You will always long for something more. That's why people long for heaven. Because it's perfect. And all the junk that we experience here won't be present there. So I think that's important, first of all, that we have that mindset that this place, this world, isn't supposed to satisfy us. Okay? Then I think that there are some certain things we can focus on that will help us navigate those tensions that we talked about, that we experience in this world. One is to learn the secret of contentment. What it means to be joyful in any circumstance, okay? Not content with the things that we can control, like our, our disobedience and sinfulness, Okay, so we don't be content with that because that's something we can change, right? Okay, but content with the things that are outside of our control, okay? We can't control things like natural disasters. We can't control economic collapses. We can't control who gets cancer and who doesn't. We can't control whether a friend, a spouse, a neighbor, whoever hurts us. We can't control those things. So how do we respond in the midst of it? Here's another thing that Paul said in in Philippians 4. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. And if you read Paul's story, you know that those things are true. He talks about the number of times he was beaten to the brink of death, the number of friends that fled him when he was on those missionary journeys that just couldn't take the heat and left him, the number of times that he was shipwrecked and and persecuted 
And he learned to be content in the midst of it all. He didn't have this American dream gospel idea. Well, another secret in focus is, is focusing. So one is just learning to be content, right? Secondly is focusing on character development in the midst of the ups and downs of an unpredictable life. So I want you to open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, page 785 in your pew Bibles. This is something we studied last year some. Verse 1 of chapter 5 of Romans says, Therefore, since we have been justified or made right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. I want you to turn over to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1, page 847. Starting in verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy. Remember, the other one said, Glory in your sufferings. This one says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So it seems like there's some pretty great things that can come from suffering and trials in our life, that we should actually look at those things with a somewhat anticipating sense of, wow, I wonder what God's going to do in me in the midst of this trial or as a result of this trial. Who is he going to make me to be? You see, we often can't control the trials and the tests that will come our way. Some of them will be our own doing. Some of it will be just sinful stuff on our own part, but many will be the results of the sins of others around us or the fact that we just live, up, live in, a, in a screwed up world. So how will we respond? Will we allow those circumstances and trials to, to fill us with a sense of hopelessness and despair? Or will we look at it and say, God, what do you, what do you want to do in me? I, I want to take advantage of this opportunity to be made more like you, to learn more about what perseverance looks like and character looks like and maturity looks like as a result of this. And I think it's very important, too, because I've been reminded this week as I've been uh, reading a book um, is that in America, we have a lot of first world trials. 
You know what I'm saying? And, and the reality of the world that we live in is that every day there are hundreds of millions of people who wake up and don't know what they're going to eat. Millions of people dying of diseases that are both preventative and treatable, right? Right now there are 12-year-old girls in slavery as sex slaves. There are people that are human slaves in our world. Those are problems. And not that everything that we experience here, do we just trivialize and say, oh, well, that's not that important. That's not what I'm saying. But we do need to have some perspective once in a while. And some things that we think, oh, my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, you know. So-and-so broke up with so-and-so on that show, you know. But sometimes I hear myself talking. And I'm like, golly, man, that's so minor. (laughs) Really? So we got to be careful with that. And finally, what I feel like was missing from the leadership during my Canacuck days was a more honest portrayal of what it means to be a follower of Christ. We need to encourage our brothers and sisters And especially those, we have many of them here, who are young in their faith, by telling them that that following Christ doesn't guarantee that our life is going to work out the way we want it to. That there will be challenges and there will be downright unfair things that happen to you. And we need to specifically tell them ways in which we've sinned and failed others what we've learned from that. But we also need to tell them that there is hope, that God desires to take broken things in life and use the trials and tests that they've been through to to create character in them, but then also to use their stories to be a blessing to somebody else, to give somebody else hope. That in our frailty and weakness, we're reminded of Christ's forgiveness and strength and that humble perspective and attitude is a good thing to have. Life isn't fair. We can do all the right things and our life could still fall apart. But you know what else wasn't fair? That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That wasn't fair to God. We hadn't done anything to deserve his mercy, his love, his forgiveness but he gave it to us anyways. So yes, as the song says, something's always wrong in this world. But man, there's some really good things that are right too. God's mercy and grace and forgiveness are more than enough for whatever it is that we go through in life, that we can be free of some sins that that really have entangled us and destroyed us in certain ways that our pain and our brokenness and our circumstances don't have to define who we are or how our life turns out or whether God can use us or not, that we have hope because we are children of an amazing God, an amazing Father who loves us and is going before us to prepare a place for us to be with him forever that will be home. And I share this with you today 
because I wish someone would have painted a realistic picture for me when I was 20 of what it meant to be a follower of Christ, because it certainly would have changed the way in which I viewed my life and the world and the, the trials and tribulations of the things that were happening to me at that point in my life. I would have viewed them with a much different perspective, and I would have spent far less time trying to do things the right way and then expecting certain results and being disappointed when I didn't get them. And I think my attitude and perspective would have been more like, okay, bad things are going to happen. What is God trying to do in me or show me or what can I learn in the midst of it? How can I be a blessing to somebody else in the midst of this painful, broken world that we live in? And how can I point them to something that is true, that we can put our hope in, that will satisfy us? Man, so that's my... That's my gift for you today, young people, okay? Don't think that being a Christian is a formula. Love God, follow him, try to do the right things, yes. We can avoid some calamity sometimes if we don't sin, right? There are some benefits to living a, a, a holy life, but you're also going to be caught up in the crossfires of other folks' stuff, and it's, it's going to feel not fair sometimes. And it's going to hurt. But God tells us that he is there with us in the midst of it all. And that he has a much better plan for us. Some of those things we get to experience here. Right? You guys have had those moments. Maybe you had them over Christmas. Where everything does seem to just click. <laughs> in your life. And you really experience just happiness and joy. And you think, man, this is good. And that's God just kind of giving us a taste of what heaven will be like all the time. But we don't chase after that feeling. We don't try to organize and control and manipulate life to be in that place all the time because that's not real, unfortunately, right now. Let's pray.